Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. All right. So today we're in our third message in this series called The Garden, Back to Life. Uh, And if you thought Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was bad, uh, when they messed up and they sinned, they, they ate from the one tree that they weren't supposed to, you haven't seen anything yet. Because what happens in the aftermath of the garden for Adam and Eve with their own sons is, it just seems a lot worse than what happened with Adam and Eve. Um, what Adam and Eve did eat not from that fruit, it's like innocent child's play compared to what one of their sons wound up doing later. Now, we all seem to have an aftermath effect from our parents and the mistakes that they've made. Um, I am very, very guilty of being way too over-competitive. And I would like to blame that completely on my father. All right? I also think that I know everything all the time. I would like to blame that on my mother. All right? My mom is one of those people. I love her like crazy. She's one of those people, though, that whenever she's trying to prove something to me, she's always telling me that they say this. Yeah, they, t- they were talking about this. It's amazing how often that they is totally wrong. I don't know who this they is that she's looking at and listening to, but they're wrong a lot. And I am also wrong a lot of time, but I don't like to admit it. My mom and me, we got that in common. But if there's one thing that I think hurts me even more, the aftermath of, of parents. Now, we all, we all got things that, that our parents gave to us. One of them for me is the horribleness of loud chewing. I'm telling you, I never realized, uh, until like five or ten years ago, I never realized how loudly my mom and dad chew food. Until they're at my house visiting, and I'm like, what is, what is wrong here? And I, but I realized I don't far fall from the tree, because now that we homeschool my kids, uh, sometimes I'll be at, at home working on stuff on the, at the kitchen table, and I'll be, I'll be eating my lunch or whatever and working on stuff, and I see my daughter Abby sitting there trying to work. And she's giving me teenage glares. And then she starts, literally, she's doing homework, trying to cover her ears like this. It's so traumatic, all the loud chewing. And I get it, because I've been there before with my own parents. But we all have an aftermath, things that, that we do that may be from our parents. But the sins of Adam and Eve, they didn't even match up to even cl- come close to the kinds of sins that one of their sons, Cain, was going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of let the cat out of the bag here. Cain kills his brother Abel in the story that we're going to read today. I know I kind of, I probably went too quick, and now there's no suspense and stuff, but hey, it happened. And unfortunately, we tend to know this kind of story too well. This sin that wreaked havoc in the life of not just Adam and Eve, but down through the next generations, just this sin that keeps wreaking havoc over and over and over again. We see sin take hold of our lives in ways that, that destroy and the depth of destruction that we feel sometimes, it's, it's astonishing and it seems like it comes out of nowhere. Like, how in the world did I get wrapped up in this? And it gets so bad that uh, we feel like we, we're never going to be made right again. It's hard to see that we're going to be accepted in light of all the stuff that sometimes we see enter into our lives. But I think that there's a lot of beauty in this story that we're going to read today. There's a lot of beauty in this story. Beauty in the story that it, it leads us towards seeing 
what it was that Christ did for us when he walked into or, or rode into that city before he was going to be crucified. Why would he ride into this city that he knew that he was going to be crucified in just five days later? Why would he ride into this city knowing that was going to happen? In this story, can we see the same game plan that led Jesus to come into this world knowing what was going to happen to him? In this story today, can we see the game plan of grace and God's power over sin that brought Jesus out of the grave that we're going to, like we're going to celebrate next week during Easter? And you can celebrate it today too, that's fine. Because Jesus has risen from the dead today too. But I believe that, uh, that we're going to see that kind of story unfold in this story, Genesis chapter 4. So it's a little bit longer passage. I like to read the whole passage usually at once so that you kind of have the whole story in your head once we start talking about it. Okay, so here it is. Genesis chapter 4. It says, Now Adam and Eve, his wife, and uh, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and away from your face. And from your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who, anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. All right, so this story starts off where Adam and Eve have a, have a couple kids named Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, they bring these gifts to God. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. It's not super clear what it is about Cain's gift that was so awful. Uh, I'll put it this way. I don't think his, his gift could have been possibly as bad as the first gift at Christmas I ever gave to my future wife when we were dating. Uh, I don't know what I was thinking, you guys. I got her a sweater. Now, you might be like, That's, that sounds pretty nice. I would like if somebody gave me a sweater. I gave her an extra large sweater. She's a tiny human being. Um, but it actually got worse than that. I didn't just give her an extra large sweater. I gave her a men's extra large sweater. I didn't realize it was a men's sweater. I don't know what was going on. Now, granted, back in the 90s, guys, we used to wear stuff really baggy. I was like 5'2 at the time wearing extra large t-shirts that looked like long sleeve shirts. Okay, and so, I mean, forgive me. 
I just figured she'd like extra large. Now, here's the weird thing about it. Nowadays, girls, high school girls, they go to the Goodwill and they buy extra large sweaters to wear. They like these oversized. So I was just ahead of my time. That's what I figure I was. She didn't figure that. I will say she was really, really sweet. She always wore, wore it because she knew that I, I meant well. I didn't think, I, I thought everybody just wore extra large stuff. Now, while my gift to Crystal, it was bad, it really seems like from God's reaction to Cain's gift, his, his gift was on a whole nother level of awful. The, the Bible says that he brought an offering of fruit to the ground. Some passages, uh, some translations say he brought some of the fruit of the ground. What was it that was so bad about this? All I know is that the Bible makes it clear that Cain fell short. In some way, shape, or form, Cain fell short. I want you to think about if you gave a gift to Elon Musk. Elon Musk, I believe right now, is the richest guy in the world. It always depends on where the stocks are at and all that stuff. But uh, dude's got lots of money. If you bought a gift and gave it to Elon Musk, is that something that he would need? No. Uh, it's kind of like when your kids write a little card for you and all the words are misspelled. You didn't need a misspelled card, but you like it because your kid gave it to you. It was from the heart. As long as my gift to Elon Musk came from the heart, he'd probably accept it like, ah, oh, that's cool, thanks. I'm going to go buy a better one. <laughs> um, but that's the thing with God. God doesn't need anything from you and me. He didn't need anything from Cain and Abel. But he wanted one thing from Cain. There is one thing that God can't get without it being given freely, and that's a person's heart. God is able to have anything that he wants, but the one thing that he can't do is he can't get your heart without you being willing to give it to him. Now, he could have maybe set up the world in a way where he could have made it that way, where he could have gotten your heart no matter what, but that would have been a dictatorship. That would not have been a loving relationship with a God who created us. And so one thing that's really clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament is that God does not really care about the outward transactions that we make between him and us. What he cares about is the inward transformation. He cares about how your heart and my heart are being changed into what he wants. David writes about it in Psalm 51. He says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. This is the same spirit, the same heart that a woman in, in Luke chapter 21 gives to God. Uh, in, the, in this chapter of scripture, we see these rich dudes coming into the temple, and they've got tons and tons of money, and they come up to the, the bucket that they put all the money in, and they take out all this money, and they drop in tons of money so that everybody can see it. And then this one little lady, this poor old widow, she brings up her two coins, and she drops in the two coins. It's about all she had. And I love what Jesus says about her. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. You see, the physical gift that this woman in Luke gave, it was not as good as the gift that the rich men gave. The physical gift wasn't as good, but the heart gift was way better. God didn't care about anything but a person's heart. The poor woman gave all that she had, money and her heart. And that's what I don't think Cain does in this story. Cain gave some of the, the, the physical fruit that he had gotten from the ground, but he didn't give what was most important. 
I want you to listen to what the Gospel Coalition says about this. It says, a sacrifice only works if you're willing to offer up something of real value to you. If what you are offering has no value, then it's not a sacrifice. Are you willing to lay down what is of great value to you? Are you willing to lay down your hopes, your dreams, plans, and your future? When you come to the place where you can lay down what you want to take on what God wants, you're offering something of real value to God. See, Cain's problem was not a giving problem. Cain was willing to give some of the the physical things in his life to God. Cain's problem was a heart problem. And for us, our sin problems, they are not just about the physical things in our world. Uh, It's about what's in the heart. It's not just that we withhold money on our tax return that's the problem. It's not just that we say something hurtful to our spouse that's the problem. It's not just that we open up our computer to look at something on the internet that we're not supposed to look at that's the problem. What the problem actually is, the place where we fall short, it all comes from the heart. We fall short when our heart is in an unhealthy place. That's where Cain was at. Cain's heart was in an unhealthy place. Cain was willing to give some, but he wasn't willing to give the thing that mattered most. Our hearts are a breeding ground for destruction. But our hearts can also be a breeding ground for something that is beautiful. And that's what I love about this, this story here, is that God wasn't just willing to let, God, let Cain's heart go unattended. He wasn't willing to just say, Cain, you're... Your heart is a, is a breeding ground for, for awful things and destruction. But he took Cain and he brought him somewhere else. He brought him somewhere better. And he says in verses 6 and 7, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. I think God is doing something that is really awesome in this passage that I I think that we need to really bring it out so that we see what it is God's doing. Um, And I think it's the same thing that God tries to do with us all the time. And really, it's two things that that he's doing in in this passage here, in these two verses. I think, even though it's the Old Testament, he is showing in these two verses the message of the gospel, the message about what Jesus was all about. These are the same things that Jesus is trying to teach us, I think, right now. When Cain fell short, God did two things. The first thing was this. God stepped in to call Cain back by reassuring him that acceptance was still not out of reach. Okay, so he steps in to call Cain back when Cain is feeling like he's awful because he did something awful. But the second thing he did was this. God warned him that something worse could destroy him if he didn't get his heart in the right place. So God through the person of Jesus, is going to call us back to him. That, hey, even though you've messed up, you are still accepted. I'm still going to take, but if you don't figure it out, if you don't turn and let your heart get right, something worse is actually going to come. Because that's what happens in Cain's life. He doesn't let his heart get get right with God, and then something even worse than than the gift and the offering takes place. Our instinct when we mess up, it is... It is that we think that there's no making up for it. Cain got really, really, really angry. Man, I'm telling you, you watch siblings the way that they get angry at each other. It's amazing how like an 8 and a 10-year-old girl, how they can fight with each other. I saw it the other day. I was like, wow, that's impressive, you guys. Then you, you get these probably fairly grown men 
out in a field and one of them is really angry at the other one. I would not have wanted to see what was going on here. But God, God's like, why are you angry? Don't you know if you do well, you are, you're going to be accepted? But Cain just couldn't turn it around. He just couldn't get in the right place. You know, the trauma that we experience, a lot of times it's, it's self-inflicted trauma. There is trauma out there. There's drama in our lives that, that we don't place, put on ourselves. That's a real thing. But so much of the trauma and the drama that we bring into our life, it is an option. We, we, we're self-inflicted people. We, we wound ourselves so much of the time. And you see that with Cain. When Cain's gift wasn't accepted, he could have stopped. He could have listened to what God was saying. He could have realized that he, he was assured of his acceptance. And then he could have avoided the aftermath of what happened after this poor gift. But here's the truth about sin and the truth about the trauma that comes from our bad choices. Sin is more tempting and more destructive than we're ever going to realize or give it credit for. Sin is destructive. And you see that here with Cain, how destructive it actually is. When our hearts are in a bad place, I don't know about you, but when my heart's in a bad place, I am blind to the destructiveness of my sin. When I'm in my car and I'm yelling at the car drivers next to me, I, I think that it's totally okay until I look over and I see somebody from church yell, watching me yell in my car. It's never actually happened, I don't think, but if it does, please forgive me. Because I yell in my car. But in that moment, it's like we just don't see that destructiveness. And so God gives Cain a warning. Genesis 4, 7, he says, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. It is like God is talking to a little child right now. That little, that little boy of yours who thinks that it's totally fine when he gets upset to smack his daughter, his, his sister, your daughter, and <laughs> mess those two up. But that happens. In the, in the anger of that moment, that little boy thinks that he can just do whatever he wants. And as a parent, you're like, you, like, you can't do that. Sin's crouching at your door, kid. Don't hit your sister. Because if you do that, the anger is going to well up in you and worse things are going to happen down the road. That's what God's trying to say to Cain. Our sin can become this, this continual spiral of a heart that that's going after personal retribution rather than reconciliation with God. When we get to that place where, where we care more about the retribution that we want to get than being reconciled to God and to the people around us, we're in a really dangerous place. We're in a Cain kind of place. I, I don't think that murder was ever something that, that had gotten into Cain's mind before. The truth of it is, is that we're, we're still so close to the moment of the first sin with Adam and Eve and death being brought into the world. The likelihood is Cain had probably never seen a human being die before. He definitely, I, I, would, I would say, probably had never seen a human being murdered before. He maybe hadn't even gotten in his mind that there was such a thing as murder. And so you have to imagine, this is a sin that Cain couldn't even fathom. The idea of killing his brother before this moment, I doubt it even entered into his brain. But that's like sin for a lot of us. I don't think that, that a person who, who cheats on their spouse ever went into a marriage thinking, I want to cheat on my spouse. I don't think somebody who backstabs their best friend ever went into that friendship thinking, I want to backstab this person sometime so that it, it gives me some kind of benefit. But in the moment, it seems like the safer thing for us. For some reason, it seemed like the safer thing for Cain to kill his brother. 
Sin is a loud temptation. And it's aggressive. James 1.15 says this, Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin is progressive. It keeps coming after us. And if we let it in, it gets even more aggressive. The New Testament also talks about, uh, Peter talks about this aggressiveness like sin is like stalking him like a wild animal. He says, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And frankly, Peter himself, he did give in to that temptation. The, the, the worst moment in his life ever was when Jesus was about to, to be imprisoned and then be killed they're asking him, aren't you one of them that's with him? And Peter's like, no, it wasn't me. I don't even know the man. He completely denied who Jesus was. But for him, that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus comes back to Peter later on after Jesus has risen from the dead and he has a conversation with Peter. He says, he calls him Simon, his, his given name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that you might sift, he might sift you like wheat but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. If we're not careful, sin can absolutely devour us. But God is always going to give us a way out. God is always going to try to throw us a rope to bring us out. Sin finds the part of our hearts that's most vulnerable. If you wonder why you, you, you struggle in sin that you just, you, you never would have ever wanted to do, and you never want to do it, and you keep going back to it, it's because sin has a way of getting us at where our heart is most vulnerable. It finds that place where we're concerned with ourselves more than we're concerned with the things that God wants us to be concerned with. And at that place, we, we find ourselves getting caught up in something that we never anticipated. Cain, like his father before him, he allowed sin to take hold of his life. God gave him every chance that he could have possibly given to him, and Cain just refused. And what's scary is that his sin progressed even further than his father's. Sin is progressive. Here's the thing I find really fascinating in this story. If you think back a few weeks ago, um, there's a point where Adam ate from that tree that he wasn't supposed to. And in the moment that he ate it, he, he felt remorse, he felt regret, he, he realized he was naked for the first time. And so when he realized he was naked, he went and he hid from God when God came into the garden. And there was a question that God asks him. In Genesis 3, 9, God asked him a question. He said, where are you? Now we, we know God didn't all of a sudden forget everything and not know everything and not know where he was, but he was trying to call him out of his sin. He was trying to get him to confess and to come forward. And what's fascinating here is that we see the same exact thing happen in this story. God asks Cain a question. Genesis 4, 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Do you really think that God didn't know where Abel was? God knew that he was dead. But he's asking Cain, he's trying to get Cain to become honest with what it is that he's done. And even here, Cain fails in the task. He makes matters worse. He had just killed his brother, which is pretty bad. And then he lies face to face 
to the God who created him. Like, Cain, what are you doing? Just digging your heels in, making it worse. And here's what I think we need to see from this entire story is this. At every point in this story, God met Cain and attempted to shepherd his heart. Every point in the story, you see God trying to shepherd Cain where he's at. Now, that's a, kind of a churchy word sometimes. What does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes its sheep, the sheep that are kind of wandering away, and he, he pulls them back in. That's what God is constantly doing to Cain. That's what God is constantly doing to you and me. But we have this fear in our heads, this thought that God can't be trying to shepherd me. God is probably trying to cast me out. God is upset at me. But that's the, it's the exact opposite we see throughout Scripture. God didn't stop and give up on Cain. God didn't try to make Cain feel more guilty than he, he already was. God didn't hate Cain and hold his sin over him forever. But God did reassure Cain and tell him that he was still acceptable. God did warn him without forcing any behavior on him. He's just like, dude, you just need, you need to turn your heart. It's going to be okay. God did try to direct Cain's heart away from his selfishness and into this loving responsiveness to God. And at the end of the story, what happens, so Cain has Cain is gone forward, and he, after this offering, he's killed his brother. And then God comes to Cain, and he gives him some punishment. And sometimes we think of punishment as this really big, bad, awful thing. That it's God's way of saying, yep, I'm mad at you. Yep, I don't like you. Here's what you got. But I want you to see, that's not, that's not what God uses punishment for with Cain. In verses 13 through 15, Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who should be found should attack him. Ah. Cain's heart needed something drastic for him to come to God and, and to give his heart back to God. He needed something drastic to happen. And I think that this consequence that we see in this passage where he, God sends Cain out of this land, I think it was for Cain's good. Being a wanderer and a fugitive was the one thing that was going to get Cain to the place where he finally would trust who God was. God's consequence on Cain would do one thing. It would require Cain to finally depend on God and nothing else. I've always had a fear, a fear in my life of going to jail or being a fugitive. I remember when I was a little kid, two different times I had a dream that I smoked cigarettes. And I woke up in a cold sweat thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to go to jail. That is illegal. I'm under 18. And... Now my lungs are, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to run. I, and then it took me like three minutes and I realized, oh, I dreamt that. I felt so good. I don't want to be a fugitive. I also don't want to be a wanderer. I love my home. I am a homebody to the core. I love my bathroom and nobody else's. I love my clean floors. And then when my floors are dirty, it's okay because I can clean them. I love everything about my home. Cain's consequence, I think, looked really bad to him. He was a fugitive. He was a wanderer. He had no home. He had, he had nothing. You realize that the consequence that God gave him was exactly what Cain needed. All Cain could do at this point was depend on God. 
God stripped everything away from him that needed to be stripped away so that now, finally, Cain could see only God and see how God wanted to move in his life. The status quo would have allowed Cain to carry on as if nothing had ever happened. The status quo would have done nothing to position Cain's heart and on a trajectory back towards the heart of God. You and I, we, we might be facing some consequences right now because all of us, we've got sin that we deal with. And maybe we need to start looking at those consequences a little differently. Maybe the things that have been hard in our lives, we can start to look at them and say, okay, God, how are you wanting to turn my heart to you in this moment? What is it about this thing? What is, what is the sin in me that has caused me to get to this place that is, that is drawing me to you? You see, Cain was in a really dark place. And what God did is he actually brought him to a different dark place so that from that dark place he could see the light of Jesus. They could see the light of the grace of God. God is forever going to call out to you. He is going to seek you out. He's going to do whatever he can to call you and draw you to be closer to himself. Doesn't matter what the biggest mess up of your life is, Jesus wants your heart to belong to him and it's the one thing that he can't take by force. If there's one thing I want you to walk away from remembering today, it's that. The one thing that God wants from you is your heart and it is the one thing that he has chosen by his nature that he will not take by force. You want to have a relationship with God? You want to have a relationship with Jesus that is healthy and that is growing? You have to give your heart to him. He's not going to take it. So, wherever you're at this morning, what is the next step that, that God is calling you to? What's that next step that he's calling you to get your heart in a better place with him? Is he calling your heart to go through some kind of consequence that's to draw you to him, but you have not been choosing to draw close to him in that consequence? Will you let your heart be softened in the midst of that place? Is he calling your heart to a heart of confession? Is he calling your heart to trust him as your redeemer and as your forgiver? Is he calling your heart to fully submit to him in a way where maybe next week you come here and you get baptized in front of a church full of people? The reason that we baptize in front of people is it is an outward declaration of this inward faith that we've made in Jesus to die with him and to be resurrected to new life with him. The aftermath of sin in our lives is always going to look really ugly. You might be looking at your life going, man, there's a lot of aftermath of sin and it's, it's just not pretty. We are wrecked just like Cain was wrecked. Our world is wrecked from the moment that Adam sinned, from the moment that Cain sinned. And nothing was good in our future except God stepped in. He stepped in for Cain by putting a mark on him so that no one could kill him. And just like that, he later would step in through his son Jesus who took marks in his wrists and in his feet with nails where he was hung up on a cross, crucified for you and me. That's the Jesus that we get to worship. That's the Jesus that we get to serve. That's the Jesus who gets to change us. And I think today he's calling out to each and every one of us. What is that next step? What is he calling you to? To let your heart be changed towards him. God can't make you love him, but he's calling you today saying, will you step towards me? 
Will you walk out of the sin that you're in so that you can be closer to me? Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.